The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. Gratitude goes out to you today for listening to Eco Radio KC on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. This is a locally made exploration into positive solutions to some of today's ecological challenges for all of us working to create a healthier future for our communities and for the world you live in. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. My name is Darnell. Today on Eco Radio KC, host Terry Wilkie will speak with Patty Ragsdale, owner along with her husband and Eco Radio host Brent Ragsdale of Happy Apples Farm, which in 2022 became a new endeavor called Botanical Belonging. That is a nonprofit that aims to familiarize people in our community with the native plants of our region. Botanical Belonging is a business focused on sharing what Patty has learned about native plants and helping others include them in gardens. They specialize in providing access to a wide variety of species so people can expand their knowledge about the native plants of our region. They are willing to spend time with customers and understand where they are in their native plant journey. They are proud to help others enjoy the learning process and develop a long and loving relationship with the land they tend, the plants that grow there, and the wildlife they support. We at Equal Radio KC are glad to encourage awareness and protection of our world. Our goal is to ensure our listeners are aware of how we can create a sustainable present or a sustainable future. This will be a great radio hour. Now our show. This is Terry Wilkie, and today on Eco Radio KC, my guest is Patty Ragsdale. Patty, hello. Hi, Terry. Thanks for having me. Well, I am delighted. Listeners, you know, in recent months, we have had shows from several different gardening operations in town, some businesses, some nonprofits. But we haven't yet done botanical belongings. Okay, so... Patty, you used to have the same place, but it was under the name of Happy Apples Farm, correct? Yeah. When did you start Happy Apples Farm? Well, Happy Apples Farm um, started kind of in two. I started growing in 2015 and had been uh, working at Hallmark uh, as a graphic designer, which is a big jump from that to native plants. Uh, But I had always, um, and previous to that career, had studied uh, wildlife management um, over at MU and really fell in love with plant taxonomy and native plants in general, just as an adventure and a learning. I just, and so for about 30 years, had spent time just exploring nature and identifying what I saw. And really, it, it's it's one of my favorite activities, and I can tell I'll tell you guys more about that later. But 
So what, when I had a chance to, uh, my husband Brent and I uh, purchased a 10-acre property out here in Tonganoxie and decided we would make something that we could share with our community and, and really explore for ourselves. I got to take an early retirement from my career in graphic design and um, really explore this passion around native plants. What was lucky for me is that uh, there, there was a program called Growing Growers, and I participated in that for a couple of years just to kind of get my head around growing and marketing and things like that. And so in 2015, we finally moved into this home that we designed and built. And I had spent a couple of years by then kind of exploring this environment around here and really learned a lot about this little piece of land um, that I didn't know I didn't know until we got it. And that whole experience, plus this growing growers and then exploring going to market with something brought me to native plants and really being able to share that with people. And this being out here kind of on the edge of town, more in the country, no homeowners associations or things to worry about. I could explore everything out here that maybe would be a little bit harder in a suburb. And so uh, that's how we became Happy Apples Farm and the native plant nursery was uh, really after a couple of years at going to market, it became so much easier once our gardens were established here to be able to kind of give people that in-person experience with a native plant, because it's one thing to see a picture in a book, right? Or read uh, on a website what a plant looks like, but until you stand by it, or grow it in your garden for a few years and start to go, oh, that's a little different than, you know, I read or that 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 estimate of height from two to four feet doesn't really give me a good idea of how tall four feet is and, you know, difference and what what affects that. So there are all these little specifics that you can kind of get when you have a few years of experience with a plant and can stand and talk with someone who has used that plant in a garden um, for a few years. So that's how Happy Apples Farm came into existence was really just uh, the desire to share as many plants like that as we could that were native. Well, certainly I would agree with you. A person cannot go outside. I'm in Kansas City, Missouri now. I can't look outside and see a native plant. I live in Lawrence. I can go several blocks in Lawrence without seeing a native plant. So that's very interesting to think that you bought this acreage. I think it's in Leavenworth County, correct? It is, yes. And so then you're... Acreage has got native plants all over it, and you walk it and just have developed your interest in what's growing around you. Yeah, that's good, good exactly on you. true. And yeah. the, the interest, and you make a good point there that a lot of what we do see in the environment is not native, and and that is a that's the wonderful thing that I'm seeing shift is that recognition that that we as humans have an impact on, on this and really have impacted our environment in that way that a lot of what is around us is not even the weedy plants that we think, oh, those just grow when we don't take care of. Um, most of those, or many of those at least, are non-native plants that um, we have brought in and have escaped cultivation. So, it, I mean, it's, it's quite the interesting thing to really, uh, when you buy 
10 acres, you know, and, and, and really it has a history way beyond me. And um, there are a lot of resources out there for discovering what that history is. Um, and I love sharing those things with people, but the really, really kind of uh, bonding thing with a piece of land is that some of these plants that we find, if, when we start to identify them and know them, some of them can tell us about that history. Um, for instance, we had a lot of brome. Most people do because brome is a great grass for horses, but it's not native. Um, so the smooth brome that we see is is not a native species. It's it's seeded for hay and, or for grazing, which is normal. That's that's what we're used to seeing. Um, but our warm season grasses that would be more likely to be seen in a, a, a purely native space um, aren't as prevalent sometimes in in these um, fields that people have used for grazing and um, haying. Uh, and yet there are hay fields that I've walked that are the most beautiful prairies I've ever seen. So really kind of um, getting your head around what a prairie looks like as opposed to uh, a hay field. Right. Before we go too far afield, that's my joke. I'm not going to let you get away without talking about weeds that we see that are not native. So is ragweed one of those? That Actually, I know. That's a wonderful, that's a wonderful uh, thing to start with because ragweed, I'm terribly allergic to ragweed. But we have two very common ones, common ragweed, which is actually super fragrant. I love it, actually, as long as it's not in bloom when the, the pollen's flying around. And it's a little bit shorter, although it can get kind of big and kind of frilly. And then there's this giant ragweed. I have that, too. And I, both of those, I believe, are native plants. Oh, and, and they are important seed sources for things like bobwhite quail. So even though for us, terrible, terrible to have that stuff around. Um, for the rest of the environment, um, maybe not so bad. Uh, for my restoration, my restored areas, I don't like to see a lot of it, uh, especially the giant ragweed, because it's gonna knock things back for a long time. I need to move, I need to mow that, uh, keep that low, so yeah. Well, you're absolutely correct. There are so many ways to learn how to handle plants, how to have them in your environment, or even if you love the big full leaf of the ragweed, a common ragweed, but you want to uh, contain it and keep that seed head out and Cut it before it goes to pollen. Isn't that the truth? Because this yeah. is allergy season. I, I guess that's why I thought to bring that up. Yeah, it's a it it it's interesting. I I get uh, a little bit um, nervous when it gets too tall for me to mow <laughs> because that's the easy way, right? And what? also, one time I went to mow it, and there was a chrysalis, a monarch chrysalis on it. And then what do I do? You know, how do I handle that? Well, listeners, I'm talking to Patty Ragsdale, and she opened her business as Happy Apples Farm in Tonganoxie, Kansas. And currently, it has the operational name of Botanical Belongings. So when we come back, 
Patty, perhaps you'll tell our listeners about how that came to happen. And I also, I didn't quite get done with telling listeners about all of your various interests and and really you're a font of knowledge about native plants. And so uh, we're going to take a very short break now, but we'll be back in just a few. Hi, I'm Larry Kay, host of Indigenous and in Music. I'm inviting you to join me every Thursday morning with your cup of joe starting at 3 a.m. till 5. I'll be spinning you new and original music along with great interviews from our indigenous musicians. And if you miss us, you can always find us at archive.kkfi.org. We are 90.1 KKFI Kansas City, radio powered by diversity. Are you making a positive impact in your community? Let your story be heard through KKFI's Community Voices series. We're on the lookout for inspiring individuals and organizations that are making a difference. If you have an initiative you'd like to highlight, head over to kkfi.org slash community voices and share your story with us. Together, we can create a stronger, more connected Kansas City community. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. Climate change poses grave threats to many bird species around the world. Transitioning to clean energy can help protect them. Helen Rose Patterson of the National Wildlife Federation says offshore wind is a promising way to reduce climate warming carbon pollution. But turbines can also create risks for birds, so she says it's important to prevent birds from flying into them. And so we want to see offshore wind be successful, and we have a very high bar for what responsible development looks like. She says monitoring birds' flight paths and migratory patterns can help inform where turbines are sighted and provide data about which species are in danger. And at times and in places where collisions are more likely, there are ways to minimize the risk. For example, she says wind turbines could be paused when lots of migratory birds are passing. And other measures, like painting turbines black or using flashing lights instead of steady burning lights, have been found to reduce collisions. I think that offshore wind presents us with a really unique opportunity to substantially reduce carbon emissions. Which will help protect birds in the long term. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. Welcome back. This is Terry Wilkie, and I'm talking with Patty Ragsdale of Botanical Belongings, a native plant nursery that's available to all of us in Tonganoxie, Kansas. So, Patty, we were discussing how you opened this business in 2015 called Happy Apples Farm, and a great native plant nursery. You have a greenhouse. You grow plants or otherwise acquire plants. People can come and purchase annuals, perennials, shrubs, trees, all of the native plant variety. And then you changed your name just last year. Is that true to Botanical Belongings? Do you want to explain to our listeners what what happened there? Sure. Sure. Yes. Last year... um early last year. I, for a couple of years, 
had been thinking um, really that our goal here uh, had always been really just to bring native plants to people and to connect people and native plants kind of, we want, we want people to, to get to know these plants and love these plants as much as we do, because there's, to me, there's so much that, that we give to the rest of the world when we choose native plants, uh, as opposed to a plant from, um, somewhere else. Uh, so when, when, uh, after a couple of years thinking about it, I read a book called braiding sweetgrass, um, and found the words botanical belonging. Um, so I can, I contacted the author, Robin Wall Kimmerer, and she, um, told me that it would be fine with her if we used that name for this, um, nonprofit endeavor, uh, botanical belonging, uh, really was, was, really that the sentence that it came from in her book really described what we wanted to give people was was a sense of this um this familiarity with the environment around us or at least kind of this sense of what's there uh and what might have happened to bring something different there or um at least get us to start to see and and familiarize ourselves with it. So uh, Botanical Belonging started last year and really it was just last year was about getting organized. I had started, um, uh, I'm getting older, <laughs> not still not old, I don't think, but I'm getting older. And uh, as you get older, you start to kind of think about the future and how um, Happy Apples Farm really is our place. Uh, but what we do here by really connecting people to plants, that is is an activity that could go anywhere. Uh, and I wanted that to to we wanted to be able to give that back to the world um, in a way that really wasn't dependent on making a profit on these plants. Uh, really, it is about sharing knowledge, um, just educating people and familiarizing our community with these beautiful plants of our region. Well, I encourage everyone to visit your nursery. It's very interesting. The plants, because they're native, get to sit outside in small pots that anyone can acquire and take home. Now, Patty, isn't it true that maybe right now the first part of august is not the best part to purchase a native plant and put it in the ground when when would you recommend a person plant a, a plant right well this year's been um really awesome for planting it's been wet and and relatively cool um but most of the time spring or fall now perennials are really really good to put in in the fall that's my favorite time because that kind of gives them an establishment period that i i really have less work to to kind of keep the rest of the the plants that i don't want out um the challenge i think for some people with that kind of planting is recognizing your plant the next year um, when it comes up, but fall really is a wonderful time. And fall here starts kind of in, in, in this planting world, September 1st, like that month of September last year, though, September was seriously dry. It was not the best year for planting, uh, in the fall. So, um, like we even lost plants over the winter this last year that we're not used to losing, um, 
So it was a, a every year is a little bit different, but spring and fall typically are better than in the mid summer, um, which we take what we call a summer hiatus. So we're kind of still in that uh, later in the month. Um, we'll open up, I think, the last uh, weekend in August is when we'll open back up for fall sales. And that is the weekend um, after uh, an event that will be here that's a fundraiser for another nonprofit called the Resilient Activist. Well, very good. Now then, while we're talking about it, let's explain to people how to find Happy Apples Farm. So you're off of 2440 Highway if a person is coming from the West and then from 2440 Highway, what road do they turn on? When it, we're, we are south of 2440 on um, uh, 178th Street. But you could you could take uh, a road. It goes by several names, and I can't remember if it's Leavenworth County 6. Um, and where 2440 meets up with it, I think it's called uh, Washington Street also. But then it changes to a road called Evans Road. So it's got lots of names. I was going to call it Evans, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So so lots of names um, coming from that direction. But anyway, it's, it's basically where we're south of Evans Road and 178th Street, um, south of 2440. Both of those are so. Well, um, everyone has a smartphone. What is your address? What do you tell your smartphone to find? I, you? I tell the smartphone to find botanical belonging at Happy Apples Farm because we're both we're in there as both of those names, but um, together. Uh, but you could also just put in our address, which is 17524 178th Street, Tonganoxy, Kansas. Thank you for that. Now then, you have a fabulous website, too, and that's at botanicalbelongings.org. That's right. And it's it's singular. It's not belongings. It's botanical belonging. So just think of that sense of belonging. Um so that we're not, we're, it's not really a possessive thing, like we're not possessing these belongings. Um, we are belonging with plants. Uh, so it's just uh, botanicalbelonging.org. Um, the old website is happyapplesfarm.com. Uh, you can still find us through that and contact us through that. But most of our newer information comes out on botanicalbelonging.org. And you're you've got full social media, correct? You're on Facebook. This yeah, time. I'm. Uh, we're on Facebook uh, as Botanical Belonging. We're also there as Happy Apples Farm. They're identical. So, uh, so those those are ways through social media to get a hold of us. And then we're also on Instagram as Garden Rambler and Botanical Belonging. Garden Rambler. Yeah. Good. Good. All right. So you also talked about events and you said you have an upcoming event. You want to share with our listeners the date and time with Resilient Activist, your upcoming event? The Resilient Activist fundraiser is going to be from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on August 20th. Uh, we'll have vendors. We have prairie tours. Um, I think there's a lunch that you can do. Uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have plants for sale. 
Very good. Yeah, a person can never get enough plants. And so that will be in the fall when you say it's a good time to put plants into the ground. And listeners, if you are not really adept at gardening, I think that perennials, I think that the annuals or perennials, of course, it's a little late in the year to plant an annual. It'll only go to freeze. But a perennial, which will be back next spring, you've got to treat it very tenderly. So that's to make sure that it has enough water at least once a week, I would water it. And if you have it within range of a hose, uh, that's an easy thing to do. Um, Many people who have urban yards can water. And I think really the more water, the better, don't you think? Even at the beginning, uh, yeah, some for some plants. Now, now there are. I'm I'm actually pretty much amazed by how resilient some of these plants are just in our pots. And sometimes overwatering can be way more of a problem um, for us here than uh, not getting enough water on them. But um, we, I mean, there's so there's a lot of details around these things that. Uh, I, I tell people, don't worry, just try it. Just try it. Just give give this plant a try. And we try to pick the right plants, but um, your place is a place that you will know uh, way better than I'm going to know. So you'll have a sense um, of, of what will happen. Uh, and I like that. I like people to, to really kind of make those choices uh, for themselves and, and just give things a try and trust that, that we're all going to learn from how this plant lives in, in our space, uh, with us, uh, we're going to learn something. And that's really the most fun thing about having these kinds of gardens as they teach us as much as, uh, anything could teach us. Well, native plants are a very good way to do that because, Historically, when I had plants that I planted from the nursery, I would put it in a place it would die. I would move it to another spot and see if it would thrive. And finally, when it was living well, I was like, well, that's where it wanted to live. And so with native plants, so many of them will throw seeds and they'll come up where they want to grow. That's the amazing thing about it. really is. <laughs> and that's a lot of what we teach in a garden maintenance aspect is, is some things need seed control. Some things are rhizomatous, some things, um, you're right. How do we, how do we maintain these gardens so that they still give us a sense of a garden, uh, rather than just an overgrown kind of space, uh, but even those can be pretty awesome. So I don't I, I don't want to say you can't have an overgrown kind of big cottage garden look and have that not be awesome because it, it is. Uh, but the more structured environments that people are looking for really do um, depend on people maintaining them uh, in a way that people interpret as as a cared for garden. I'm talking to Patty Ragsdale of Botanical Belonging Operation. Or, Patty, do you call it an operation now or business? Or it's a nonprofit, correct? 
We call yeah, it's a nonprofit, and we, so we're a five hundred one three c three registered nonprofit, and we are really focused on hands on native plant education. We'll be right back after this. Don't miss your boarding pass for Modern Jet Set. I'm Iris Berkeley, your pilot for an adventure through eclectic new releases and the vintage vibes that inspired them. Connect the dots between soul and synth pop, reggae and R&B, Latin and lounge, plus the classic sounds that gave us today's independent music landscape. Come fly the fancy skies. That's Modern Jet Set, every Thursday at 2 a.m. right here on KKFI. The Women's Equality Coalition presents the Equal Rights Amendment, passing the torch to Gen Z in the fight for equality. A panel discussion with Gen Z activists and moderated by Erica Benson, director of Project 28, on Women's Equality Day, Saturday, August 26th at Grace and Holy Trinity Cathedral, located at 415 West 13th Street in KCMO, from 2 to 4 p.m. For more information, visit WEGKC.com. This message is a public service of KKFI. Here's a calendar for the week of August 14th, 2023. We're less than two months away from the 2023 Paddle Mo Capital to Capital trip. Jefferson City to St. Charles, Missouri, September 23rd to the 27th. Launching from Jefferson City for the first time. You can register now. Email Mary at streamteamsunited.org or call 573 573- Five eight six zero seven four seven. The 2023 Climate Summit will be September 9th from 10 to 4 p.m. at Rockhurst University, Kansas City, Missouri. You can contact Climate Action Board Chair Hillary Thomas with questions at hillary at climateactionkc.com. Tuesday, August 15th, 6.30, leading up to the Bike Walk KC's Women's Bike Summit, hear a special keynote address with Sarah Loring. The keynote address will be held at Johnson County Library Central Resource Center, 9875 West 87th Street, Overland Park. The event is free to attend. RSVP for the event at eventbrite.com. To find more information about this event on the Women's Bike Summit on Saturday, September 30th, visit bikewalkkc.org. Wednesday, August 16th, 3.40, Cultivating an Ecosystem Workshop at the KC Farm School at Gibbs Road, 2443 South 42nd Street, KCK. All ages are welcome. Registration is encouraged. Please visit kcfarmschool.org to sign up. Thursday, August 17th, noon, Do-It-Yourself Energy Savings Project is a free virtual workshop. Mary English, MEC's Building Performance Manager, will share easy step-by-step instructions for home energy efficiency. For more information, call Metro Energy at 816-531-7283. Friday, August 18th, noon to 1 o'clock, Cooking with Summer's Bounty is a free learning experience held at the KC Community Gardens, 6917 Kensington Avenue, Kansas City, Missouri. To learn more and register, visit kccg.org. Sunday, August 20th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., Blue Stem Bash at Happy Apples Farm, 17524 178th Street, Tonganoxie, Kansas. There will be a native plant tour, five essentials workshop, prairie walk, nature-inspired raffle, and more. Tickets are available 
at theresilientactivist.org. Stay involved, enjoy the summer, and check out your local politics for environmental issues. My name is Liz. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. My name is Terry Wilkie. You're listening to Eco Radio KC, and today I'm talking to Patty Ragsdale. She's the owner of Botanical Belonging, a nursery that's available for anyone to visit, and it's located in Tonganoxie, Kansas. I wanted to open this part by asking you, Patty, what do you think about the present exploding interest in native plants? So 2015, you're thinking, I'd like to have a native plant nursery. And since that time, I mean, the public's interest is in native plants. Wouldn't you agree with that? I, I would. And and I mean, I, I, I couldn't be more thrilled. I don't know. Uh, I can only be thankful that there's a monarch butterfly that has really uh, at least gotten people to know there's a milkweed or there's this plant that's good um, and really just starting these discussions about host plants and what is a host plant because really even knowing that the monarch butterfly doesn't particularly need the nectar of that plant. It's not, um, so pollinator gardens are often for feeding bees, right? Um, so yes, milkweeds feed bees and they, and they feed lots of other insects with nectar, but it, the monarch butterfly has to have that to complete its life cycle. And that's what a host plant does. Their caterpillars can only eat milkweeds. So there are a lot of plants, a lot of native plants in our environment that are like that. Um, they have a reciprocal relationship with an insect. So the, it, the insect depends on that plant. The plant depends on the insect. It's a really wonderful kind of thing to encourage happening in your garden because there's just so much to watch. I'll notice, in fact, on the um, there's a, a plant called wild senna or Maryland senna, that's senna marylandica, and it's growing right out there by the water hydrant here. And I just noticed today that some of the leaves are disappearing. That's because it's hosting a caterpillar. I think it's a sleepy orange caterpillar. Uh, so that's, it's not an orange caterpillar, it's green, looks just like the senna, but the butterfly is a yellow caterpillar that we're used to seeing. So, or a yellow butterfly that we're used to seeing flying around. So, um, Seeing those kinds of things happen, those kinds of events in your garden and kind of getting to know this whole other world that can exist around you can entertain you every minute of every day. And I think that interaction, that kind of losing all of these other stressful things that might be happening in our lives in just enjoying nature happening outside our front door is what has made these native plant gardens um, so popular with people, feeling like you're giving something back to the rest of the world, uh, because we are in this kind of encouragement of, of allowing other things to come and live around us in our, in our gardens. Well, you, you know, Patty, we're on Eco Radio KC, and I'm having fun talking to you, but we can't continue going without saying a few words about the importance of not using chemicals. Because when you grow native plants, 
you're allowing them to grow. You're having more plant area, less lawn area. Turf grass takes chemicals to maintain fungus, insects, weeds, but those chemicals kill insects. So this is what belonging here is really all about. I just didn't want to go, I just didn't want to keep talking without saying that's really what I see is. I'm optimistic that's one of the reasons for the popular interest is that we're tired of killing everything outside and well, ready. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I mean, even uh, I would say, well, definitely within my lifetime, the thing to do when you saw something eating your plants was to spray it so that whatever that was that was eating your plant would be gone. So um, to have that shift to where, oh, we need something eating our plants, right? We want these butterflies to put their caterpillars there because eventually we are also supporting birds because birds need caterpillars for their babies, right? So we have the more caterpillars we can have, the more birds that we have, <laughs> the, the whole world operates better when we share our space with these native plants that support a whole uh, web of life that is beyond humans, um, really is something that even though we might not realize it uh, these days we we depend on um, for our for our well-being our our uh, health and happiness and enjoyment even of just life in general now patty how can people how can listeners learn more about native plants i happen to know you're on the board of the kansas native plant society do they have a website Oh, they do. It's uh, knps.org, but it may be ksnps.org. So if you just uh, Google Kansas Native Plant Society, we, you'll get our website. And we recently redid it. So it's it's uh, still kind of developing some of the uh, information that we had on our old website, but it's, it's a much uh, easier to navigate place. And we're always there. We love interacting with communities. We love exploring Kansas. Oh my goodness. So we'll be in um, Salina. Uh, I think it's the 20, I don't have that date out, but it's, I think it's the third weekend in September. So on our website, that will be there. Uh, and I would encourage everyone to go. We call it Aww, A-W-W, the annual Wildflower Weekend. And for me, when I met this group, when I started going on these walks, I had found, oh my gosh, I'm walking with a talking encyclopedia. <laughs> I'm walking with the person who can tell me what this is I'm looking at. And that is the best way I have ever found to start to tune your eye into seeing all of this wonderful diversity that that exists around us that we we really drive by at 70, 80 miles an hour on the highway and we don't we don't notice. But but it's often right there. There's a population of Sullivan's milkweed that's growing right off of 174th Street here that I'd never seen. I just happened to catch sight of a tiny pink flower out there. And there's this Sullivan's milkweed that I've never seen in this area before. So there's so much that you'll learn just by walking and having someone introduce you in person to a plant 
um, that grows in our environment here. And that's what we do at Botanical Belonging too. We are we walk through these gardens. We can see these plants. Um, so you can take these spring ephemerals, right, or spring blooming plants. If you walk now, they don't look like very much. They they are not even there. They kind of disappear. So really understanding um, how things change around us is why even the Kansas Native Plant Society does like a spring walk and then a fall walk and why we are here all the time to talk with people about what happens in gardens throughout the season. Well, that's not all you do. Tell our listeners, I know you happen to be involved with the Olathe Pollinator Garden. And so that's on Blake Street. Where Where is this yeah. garden? There's, a, there's a garden in Olathe um, called the Pollinator Prairie. And it's actually um, been there since 2012, I think, is when it was planted. Uh, it's actually five gardens now. Um and I think it started out as more than that and some grass beds. So we're we're working through like the age of a garden, right? Um, when I first went there, it was 2017. This was a super fun site or is a super fun site uh, and always will be. So um, in 2012, it was given back to the community after the remediation of the the pollution right yeah the pollution that was discovered was uh installed and it's continuously monitored it's uh just a wonderful wonderful example of what these spaces can actually give back because the community i work there with the um johnson county extension master naturalist group and we maintain that garden once a week. We go there, except in the winter, and we will do whatever is necessary to keep that garden kind of presentable for people, approachable for people. Again, to just get people to acclimate themselves to what can happen in these beautiful spaces that are filled with native plants. There are a few non-native plants in those gardens and we've still got them in there. We haven't eliminated them, but um, the non-native plants kind of came in. There's a lot of confusion about native and non-native. And so they came in early. I'm glad you brought that up. There's a lot of confusion and there is also People being what we are, there is sort of an exclusivity. There are people who, well, I would only have a native plant. And other people are like, well, it's native in Missouri and it has a bright yellow flower and I like it a lot. So uh, now then, where do you stand on that? Well, I am very, I'm pretty here I've got lots of demonstration gardens. So some of that, I even have one, I have a few non-native, not very many, but some stories at least around them. Um, like I have a irises that my husband's late wife's mother from her mother gave me. I'm going to keep that iris in my garden because that means something. I call it a legacy plant, but guess what? I have, I have another iris that came off the roadside that's a legacy plant too of somebody I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, calorie pears are a legacy plant. So I try to be very careful um, about what it is I'm putting in the garden, but I have a giant cone flower. I call it giant cone flower. It's uh, Rebecca Maxima. That's from Oklahoma. You know, that's a, these are regional natives. So I try to stay regional 
Um, and if they grow here and don't seed themselves really aggressively, then I kind of feel okay about it. I also have prairie dock. Prairie dock is a Missouri native. It's awesome. I love it. Uh, and it's in my garden and it seeds itself aggressively. So I am careful. It's accidentally introduced itself into my pasture. And I feel super bad about that. So those are the kinds of thoughts that go into what I put in a garden. And really my examination when I'm looking at a species of range and thinking, where does this typically grow? Is it likely to cause a problem if it got outside of my cultivation here? Um, but there are things when I look at those range maps, maybe that we haven't discovered that species here. Who knows how it got here, but it may have been here historically and now it's not found. So range is a wonderful thing to consider and begin to consider when you're looking at what is native to you. But I think that is also something we all have to think about is if it's a good or a bad plant, we are the ones that are going to decide that uh, when we put a plant in our garden. You've called back to the title of your business, Botanical Belonging. What, what would you like to have belong to you as you are helping it grow in the area around your home? Yeah. And that's just a whole beautiful idea. I'm sure everybody listening to Eco Radio KC today who is a gardener has enjoyed hearing you, Patty, and Remind us all how we can find your nursery. You can just on Google Maps, go Botanical Belonging, uh, search for us there. And that's how you find our nursery. But go to our website, also botanicalbelonging.org. Um, we are in the phase of like gaining collaborators, um, kind of incorporating more people into what we do here. So if you have an interest in teaching and learning and being around, please do contact us. You can reach out through our website. Uh, we would love to talk with you. Um, we have a small board right now where, like I said, we just want to encourage as much interaction with our community as possible at this point. And so you're, Botanical belonging is not open right now. You say you're waiting for some certain date. What would be the date a person can come look? We are going to open for fall sales. I'm going to look and see um, on the 26th of August. Um, but if you come to the Resilient Activist Fundraiser on the 20th, uh, you would get kind of a, a pre-sale uh, availability. Um, our our uh, availability or our, our selection in the fall isn't quite as extensive sometimes as what we have throughout the earlier in the season, but we have still a lot available. Um, usually we have at least 100 different species uh, for people to shop when they're here. Well, good on you, Patty Ragsdale. And it's a real <laughs> return to our roots with outreach. So thank you for being on Eco Radio, Casey. Thank you so much for having me, Terry. I've loved it. Good news, good planet, good news. 
It's time now for your good news for a good planet. From bottles to beaches, Louisiana has only two cities that attempt to recycle glass. And as a coastal city, New Orleans is vulnerable to rising sea levels taking over their beaches. That's what two students from Tulane University took to heart. What started as a conversation over a bottle of wine and how to recycle it turned into Glass Half Full, a nonprofit grassroots recycling initiative. In a town famous for its bars, there's plenty of glass to collect. In their first year, the duo and volunteers kept 650,000 pounds out of the landfills. First, it's separated by color, then it's ground back into sand and sorted by grain size. It can then be used for artwork, jewelry, flooring, and eco-construction. This sand can also be used to make fiberglass and can be mixed into concrete. Unlike other materials, glass is endlessly recyclable, and reusing it also spares virgin materials from being harvested for new glass, leaving more ecosystems intact. Glass Half Full's ultimate goal is to use the finely ground glass to replace lost sand on New Orleans beaches. And they're requesting local and state approval to do that. With education and massive local support, this nonprofit is changing the landscape of their famous town, and they hope to serve as a model for other communities to follow. And this is Mandy from GoodNewsGoodPlanet.com. Hey, this is Dylan and Dustin from the local wave Friday mornings, midnight to 2 a.m. We got a lot of great guests on our show. We only play local artists from the KC area. We've had on bands like Coney, Creepy Jingles and The Moose. Underground, independent, local music. Kicking off your Friday, midnight to 2 a.m. Make sure you tune in to the local wave. Thank you for listening to KKFI. We are now adding new content to our social media sites every day. So be sure to like and follow your community radio station on social media at KKFI 901FM. And thanks for supporting KKFI since 1988. My name is Darnell. At the end of our hour, here's some environmental news for the week of August 14, 2023. Inside Climate News Report, in Youngstown, Ohio, a downtown tire pyrolysis plant is called a recipe for disaster. A developer, Solby Energy Solution, has big ideas to turn tires, plastic, and electronic waste into energy at 30 locations, starting with a tire-to-gas plant next to the jail and student housing in the heart of what was once Ohio's Steel Valley. The proposal is among the latest controversies in the United States over what the chemical industry calls advanced recycling, often meaning some type of pyrolysis or a related technique, gasification, to turn plastic waste into energy or feedstocks for new plastics. Youngstown, Ohio City Council and national environmentalists do not view pyrolysis as a clean energy and are concerned about toxic air emissions. It makes no sense to put what amounts to a chemical plant with its risk of fires and explosion in a downtown.
Independence Day weekend 2023 in Chicago was meant to feature first ever NASCAR street race with cars speeding through the city's downtown, but record rainfall inundated city streets, flooded underpasses, and swamp more than 2,000 basements, many with sewage. Like many climate disasters, the flooding disproportionately impacted the city's most vulnerable, such as immigrants and communities of color. The swollen Chicago River's flow was reversed, allowing stormwater and untreated sewage to pour into Lake Michigan, a drinking water source for millions. Mayor Brandon Johnson, who lives on the city's west side, which was hard hit by the flooding, described the disaster as a sign of climate change and a harbinger of things to come. Cities throughout the Great Lakes region face similar crises with archaic wastewater systems crumbling infrastructures and segregated housing creating a perfect storm of flooding vulnerability from the resource that range from excessive rain and overflowing rivers to lakes, the warm surges, and sewage system flooding. Carbon capture and storage refer to technologies that remove carbon dioxide from smokestack emissions and then compress the CO2 gas for injection underground. The idea has gotten tens of billions of dollars funding in recent years as governments accelerated efforts to cut climate pollution. The technologies could help reduce emissions from cold and gas-fired power plants and industrial operations like cement steel manufacturing. And it could also be used to make low-carbon hydrogen fuel from natural gas. The problem is that building and running carbon capture operation is expensive and presents environmental risks. The CO2 pipeline ruptured in Mississippi in 2020, sending dozens who were exposed to the gas to the hospital. Carbon dioxide that is injected underground can also leak into groundwater or the atmosphere as storage sites are not properly screened or maintained. Direct air capture is a related group of technology that pull carbon dioxide directly from the air rather than from smokestacks. These DAC plants could be built anywhere that underground storage is available. Supporter says this carbon removal could play an important role in addressing climate change. By offsetting emissions from agriculture, air travel, and other hard-to-tackle sectors, and even by helping reverse some warming by lowering levels of CO2 in the atmosphere. Our critics point to the high costs and energy demands of the process, saying the projects won't reach a meaningful scale or would demand too much electricity. In July 2021, Texas submitted its updated implementation plan to the EPA, but in April 2023, the EPA announced that the plan's first phase was inadequate because it did not include the best available technology for reducing sulfur dioxide and particulate matter. The EPA proposed a new strategy that will require six Texas coal plants to reduce their emissions of sulfur dioxide. The public comment period on that proposed rule closed August 2nd. The EPA has not announced when it will release the final rule.
after one of Pittsburgh's most polluting plants closed in 2026. Cardiovascular ER visits in the nearby communities dropped by 42% and continued to shrink every week for years, according to a recent study published in the journal Environmental Research Health. Cardiovascular and cerebrovascular hospitalizations also decreased. Sustainability Action Newsletter Report. Of all extreme weather conditions, heat is the deadliest. It kills more people in the U.S. in an average year than hurricanes, tornadoes, and floods combined. The human body has a built-in cooling mechanism, sweat. But the system can only do so much, especially in soaring temperatures with high humidity. At low humidity, the surrounding air can take in large amounts of water vapor and the cooling effects of sweating are huge. At high humidity, very little water or sweat can evaporate and thus no cooling is possible. EcoWatch reports, stargazing used to mean staring at the sky and consulting a guidebook to decipher stars or use a telescope to see them or clear. Now, dozens of stargazing smartphone apps make it easy for anyone to enjoy and learn about the cosmos. Generally, they entail holding your smartphone up to the sky and visuals of your screen will reflect a section the sky is pointing at. If you're looking to improve your knowledge of the cosmos, identify constellations on a camping trip, or plan for future astronomical events, these apps will help you know where and when to look up. The Lever Reports. It's time for gas guzzlers to go on a diet. A new proposal from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration calls for stricter limits on emissions for passenger vehicles and light-duty trucks. The proposal asks that the average light-duty vehicle estimated to reach 50 miles per gallon by 2032. The Environmental Protection Agency has cracked down on Colorado's only major oil refinery, objecting to the company's permit renewal after a series of chemical releases and air quality violation and requiring Colorado to enforce changes to decrease toxic pollution. Suncor Oil Refinery, located in a low-income Denver suburb, has repeatedly poisoned residents' air and ignore health and safety regulations while lining the pockets of its Wall Street shareholders. The EPA decision will require the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment to evaluate air pollution at the plant and potentially revise plants permit, but the plant will continue to operate while an investigation is underway. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. Please tune in again next week or listen to our podcast at any time. Thank you for listening to Eco Radio KC on KKFI 90.1 FM, Kansas City Community Radio. Eco Radio is brought to you each week by a team of collaborators, including me, Craig Lugo, Terry Wilking, Brent Rysdale, Bob Grove, and Dave Mitchell. 
The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and guests and not of KKFI and or the Midcoast Media Project. You can find our calendar and a podcast of each show on Eco Radio KC's Facebook page, as well as on our show page at kkfi.org. This is Richard Mabian, and you can send inquiries and comments to our email at kkfi.org forward slash contact or message us on our Facebook page. Up next is Fiesta Musical, followed by Noche Magica. Our outro music is Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? Ooh.